listeners to episode four of Weekly Creep. Four. Welcome, creeps. <laughs> We're going to do that? Yeah. Okay, cool. You're all creeps. Every single one of you. <laughs> all right, so let's, uh, let's not smack my lips as much and get into the story. So today is my turn to tell a meaty story. Um, and my story is going to take you to Texas. What? Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> is that how it goes? Uh, I don't know. The Lone Star <laughs> State. You know, actually, real quick before we start. Yeah. I always had a vision, like ever since I was a kid, of just me in like this lonely kind of shack mm-hmm. in the middle of the desert, presumably Texan desert. Yeah. Just like calling out to truckers on AM radio. <laughs> just being like, all right. And now you're tuned in to 106.8. And this is, and it's just like loads of fucking uh, like Hank Williams and cigarette smoke everywhere. Mm, like on the clothes and. Yeah. Oh, it stinks. Yeah. Ah, oh, dude, cigarettes. Make the world go away. Like cigarette smoke covered clothes or anything. And then you, you wet it. Oh, yeah, that's it's the best. It's the worst. You have to. Ugh. And I would be wet with sweat just being in this little Gross. shack with no air conditioning. So have you told anybody about the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually. I haven't been spamming people and messaging strangers at all. What about your granny? Oh. Oh, I see what you did there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was talking to my grandmother this morning, filling her in on all all things in, in quarantine and in case you haven't noticed i'm actually not from um america even though i do have a well i just have a strange accent but so i'm, I'm from ireland um and so anyway i, I was just explaining you know, I, you know me and dulce are doing a a podcast and it's kind of like a radio show or whatever and she was like is that that thing that you sent me the other night i had sent the trailer to the family whatsapp group and she hit play and she was saying, I didn't know what the fuck was going on. All of a sudden, I just had some man breathing. I thought your granddad had come back for me. <laughs> so, uh, apologies, love- Granny, and anybody else who got scared by the trailer. Oh, I love you, Granny. So, yeah. Anyway, don't say. Tell us about Texas. Okay. <laughs> so, now we're in Texas, and we- I'm taking you to a small town called Yorktown. Yorktown, Texas. Mm-hmm. Yorktown, it's a small town where the highlights are church and football. What more could a man ask for? <laughs> An honest man. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the setting of today's topic. The abandoned Yorktown Memorial Hospital. Ooh. Which is supposed to be super haunted by all kinds of ghosts. Ooh, I love a good ghost. (laughs) All right. So, this hospital was founded in 1951 by the religious group known as the Felician Sisters. Or Felician Sisters. (laughs) I'm not going to say it. Did I say that wrong? No. No, it just sounds like something else. Mm. Oh, Felicio Sisters? Yeah. That's funny. (laughs) 
(laughs) (laughs) Anyways, the Felician sisters uh, that were part of the Roman Catholic Church in 1950. During the reign of the nuns, (laughs) the hospital was said to have lost over 500 patients in a six-year span. Where'd they go? Uh, uh. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> the Felician Sisters of the Roman Catholic Church kept the hospital open until 1986, when another when another hospital opened up just a few miles away in Cuero, Texas. Cuero means skin. Ugh, that's the name of the place. Yeah. Skin. Yeah. Yeah. This put Yorktown Hospital out of business. We're going to the skin hospital. <laughs> <laughs> it opened up again in 1986 as a rehab center for drugs and alcohol. The building itself is made up of about 30,000 square feet, which includes a basement and two wings on either side. The second floor was strictly living quarters for those who worked there. When it was a rehab facility, it was hard to find people to employ there or even stay employed there. This eventually led to its final closure in 1988 as those un- as those under its care could not be controlled by the few people working there. Can you imagine like the horrors of coming? Like just imagine you're in there for like heroin or something heavy. Yeah, like if you're, go- you have, you're going through the shakes, you yeah, know, and you're like, seeing things. Yeah. and But then it turns out the things are actually there mm. and just still nobody's believing you. Yeah, you're in like squalor. Yeah, Jesus. All right, so the number of deaths is not concrete, but it is approximately 2,000, like, wow. with of its entirety, right? That it's was Oh, open. for, like, its whole career? Like uh-huh. Okay. It probably didn't help that there was a doctor who was known for his unsteady hand during surgery. <laughs> Old shaky hands, Phil. <laughs> Best damn surgeon in, well, what's the name of it? Yorktown Memorial Yorktown. Hospital. <laughs> Dr. Norworski was one of the main medical professionals at the facility. He was an older man and practiced medicine into his 90s. Oh, this is shaky Hans Phil. Yeah. By the time of his retirement, he held the oldest medical license in Texas. The doctor became known for causing life-ending mistakes. One such mistake entailed him accidentally slitting the throat of a patient. While operating on his thyroid. Fuck me. It's like, oh yeah, just take you in for a quick procedure. Like, just want to check your eyes out or whatever. Oh! I'd be like, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm fine, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> please. Honest to God, shake your hands, Phil. <laughs> I don't mind drinking with you, but... Yeah, Like, keep- my leg is fine. I'll just keep, like, I'll just keep the towel on it. Alright. The current person, Phil Ross, of San Antonio. He's from San Antonio. <laughs> is in charge of the caretaking of the building. He says he can vouch for the presence of ghosts. He reports that if the lights are on in the nurse's station, everything seems to be calm, and he seems to be alone. However, if he turns the lights off, he has observed many individuals walking around. Some look like visitors he's let in on tours, and others look like they could have been patients. Additionally, a staircase is kept closed off in the front of the building by a door with a pane of glass. Each evening, it's said that it sounds as if there is a tapping on this glass pane. The Yorktown Memorial Hospital is now private property 
and trespassing is strictly prohibited. So no ghost hunting? Mm, not anymore, and you'll see why. Right. Oh. It's not as... But it is really interesting, though, that he's saying, I would assume that it's patients and family are the regular yeah. Joe Soaks that he's seeing. Yeah. You know? All right, let's get into the ghosts. Give me some ghosts. There is a friendly ghost in Yorktown Memorial <laughs> whose name is Stacy. Oh. Stacy was a playful eight-year-old girl when she was alive and enjoyed reading children's books. Her favorite is said to be the pokey little puppy, which was gifted to her by Dr. Noworski. <laughs> Did he, like, stab her in the fucking eye and well, then she fell over and that's how she died? No, so, well... As he was handing her the book. As far as the book goes, like, he gifted it to her, but, like, he wrote a little note inside the book for her. Saying, this is mine, Stacy, and I want it back when you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, you know, I guess, like, from love, like, with love from Dr. What's Yeah, yeah. And, just, uh, don't worry, Stacy. I won't slit your throat. But the thing is, like, if he had unsteady hands, I'm sure she just looked at it and was like, "Oh, that's that's nice, Doctor." What a nice drawing of a tree. Yeah. nice. That's what I was thinking about. <laughs> Can you imagine seeing that handwriting and then going, "Oh my God, his hands are going to be inside me later." <laughs> Ew. <laughs> well, not like that. She can be lured if you offer to read her something. Or if you give her toys. Some accounts say that they have brought her a bouncy ball to play with and she moves it. Other possible ghosts are the Felician sisters themselves. Wait, can we just go back to uh, Stacy real quick? Did it did it say how she died or anything like mm -mm. that? Okay. Because no. it's just like, even with the friendly ghost, she's like, oh, that's a cute little story. Kids still have to fucking die, you know what I mean, to yeah. make a story. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Still freaky, though. I don't know if I'd want to go and read her a fucking story. <laughs> oh. Supposedly, the nuns are to blame for visitors being choked and scratched. They'll also run up on you. That yeah, sounds about right. They're said to be especially nasty to people with tattoos. That's what's fucked. There have been photos <laughs> of them in their habits in different areas of the hospital. So that's how they know. It's nuns. <laughs> Their habit, as in, for those of you who don't, maybe everybody knows, I don't, or I didn't, is the headdress. Yeah. That a nun wears. Not like, oh, that one's over there biting her nails and biting her <laughs> nose. <laughs> She's over there picking her nose. Yeah, yeah. Twas her habit. Dirty bitch. <laughs> That's those nuns. <laughs> Let's see. Another ghost is Doug Richards. He was a regular mechanic of the faci facility who died in 1973 of unknown causes. He still hangs out at Yorktown. He's very tall with a white shirt and a blue jeans. Typical mechanic. Not the white shirt. Mm. Very clean mechanic. Yeah. Well, hey, Dougie! No, he is. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and there's a guy named TJ. Dougie and TJ! Yeah. Hey. <laughs> TJ was a prospective patient. In that he never got past the front door. She, shaky hands went to shake his hands. <laughs> <laughs> he, rang, he rang for help at the back door of the building. But no one came because the bell didn't work. <laughs> also, the oh nurse, <laughs> also, the nurse on duty fell asleep on watch. So TJ didn't survive the night. Ah, oh God. Poor old TJ. He's said to have finally made it in as a specter, though. Ah, too late now. Yeah. Aside from this speci these specific ghosts, people have seen orbs, shadow people, 
They've also heard screams and voices. There's also battery-operated dolls who laugh, chat, and respond to you. What are they doing in there? I have no idea. The old kids fucking I, I guess it's just, something? yeah. That's what I'm Ugh. guessing. It could be Stacy using the dolls to talk or not. I read an account mentioning a talking doll and it's saying I love you. I love you. Yeah. Maybe want to fuck you. No. Love this. Now let me tell you about the double homicide that happened there. Oh, is this like factual homicide or mm-hmm. like low folklore? No, th- and I'll show you how this is true. Nice. Um, with my words, I will show oh, you. Oh, okay. <laughs> I will paint you a mental picture. There was a love triangle. Mm. But it's uncertain who was who. Like, it could have been two workers and one patient, or two patients and a nurse. You know, it, Oh, probably when the place was a rehab, like... Yeah. Hmm. Let's give them names so it's less confusing. Because okay. it can get confusing. When I was reading it, I was like, okay, I'm going to give them names. Okay. All right. So, Abby, Benjamin, and Calvin. These just <laughs> random names that you pick? No, you get an ABC. Abby, ah. Benjamin, and Calvin. Okay. You're way smarter than I am. <laughs> I'm on a different level. Yeah. Jesus. I'd be like Bert, Bert, and Bert. <laughs> Ed, Ed, and Ed. Yeah. <laughs> Calvin caught Abby and Benjamin doing adult things in the boiler. Fucking Benjamin. <laughs> Calvin saw Red and stabbed Abby several times. Benjamin jumped in, grabbed the knife from Calvin, and killed him with it. The blood spatters from this altercation remains in the boiler room. Forensic verified. And still nobody's watched it. What do you mean? Like nobody like watched the crime scene down or anything? No, I guess not. Like, I mean, like, oh, fuck it. I mean, it, no, I guess not. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't think to like rinse it down with bleach or something. But it's like when they had a forensic come in to see because it, it's like visibly there. They're like, yep, that's blood. That's not red ink. That's not... <laughs> oh, whatever else got wrung out of that axe. My stomach hurt. <laughs> a little throwback to episode three. Um, no, that, that's nuts. Though. That's like, yeah. Jesus. All right. Let's take you to uh, present town, Yorktown Memorial. So Ross, uh, his last name is Ross. Oh, the caretaker. Right? Yeah, the okay. caretaker. The owner of the building. Used to let people go inside the building for guided tours at 10 bucks a pop until the city of Yorktown cited the hospital for building code violations. They say their concern was the poor indoor plumbing and the falling roof. But let's be honest, no one is using this bathroom in this place. Yeah. I think this citation is bogus because no one will sue anyone if Ross makes visitors sign a liability waiver. People go in... At their own risk to these things, you know? Maybe they just don't want to give any more uh, business to the skin hospital that fucking closed Yorktown down in the first place. I have a theory and I'll give it to you later. Oh, Oh, will you? Oh, yeah. (laughs) I'll give it to you straight. (laughs) (laughs) Ross told the council in a meeting, it's private property and he uses it for his personal enjoyment and nothing more. He says his building is not being used for commercial use or special entertainment, but the city disagrees. The city still classifies the building as being used for entertainment business, and the code requires a public address system in such a facility. 
Ross has estimated it would cost $100,000 to bring the facility up to code. So he can't give tours anymore. That's a shame. Well, so like if the roof is falling in. Yeah, I'd get that. But again, like no one's using the fucking bathroom and no one's drinking out of the fucking like if there's a uh, water fountain. Yeah, no, no, that no sounds like an excuse. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think and this is here's my theory. Okay. I think the real problem the city has is the crowd that the hospital attracts. I mean, by now you should know that look people give you when you tell them you do a spot of paranormal investigating. Mm-hmm. It's a small town in Texas. I'm sure the locals think anyone that goes there worships the devil. Yeah, they're, they've been in there, they've been worshiping their Satan. I've seen them. <laughs> Anyways, I hope Ross gets to continue his tours. Not because I would go, but because he owns a place and should be able to do whatever he wants with it. I think if he was given tours, we, we would go, definitely. I wouldn't fucking go. I would go. That sounds like, it literally, it just sounds like a, a rootin' tootin' darn good time. Well, the point is, it's closed. And no one's doing tours. Because they don't want people like us there. <laughs> Basically. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I think it is. So yeah, that's my story. Um, let me cite my sources. Hauntedrooms.com, Victoria Advocate, and Texas Haunted Houses. Oh, cool. That sounds like a website that I will be frequenting. Absolutely. So what do you think? I think I would absolutely go there in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, that sounds like it. Literally sounds like such a good time to me. I've decided to go with some some real life scares this week. I'm going to do... We call this part... Well, I've been calling it the, just the mini segment. Mm-hmm. You know, we go in with a kind of a soft topic. A soft topic after being reamed hard with the, yeah, with the hard but, story. A long, is, hard story. <laughs> <laughs> so now we can... Uh, you can sit down comfortably on a nice donut pillow and and listen to this. Give me your flaccid story. <laughs> <laughs> so, my sources right up top are uh, highsecurityhome.org, aceableagent.com, ranker.com, usatoday.com, and a very interesting website I found called Occasional Justice. And you're going to hear a lot more from that and the at the end part of this. Uh, so just a couple of like crime statistics that I thought were interesting. Maybe nobody else will. The FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting (UCR) program defines burglary as the unlawful entry of a structure to commit a felony or theft. To classify an offence as a burglary, the use of force to gain entry need not have occurred. In 2018, there were an estimated 1,230,149 burglaries in america that might not seem like much to americans but that's like a quarter of the population of ireland so uh that's kind of scary and approximately 11.5 people out of 10,000 fall victim to property crime every year not necessarily burglary but property crime most of these were during the day Renters are more likely to be robbed than homeowners, despite owner-occupied housing units making up to 61.2% of total housing units, while renter-occupied units make up the other 29%. Weird. All right, and straight into some accounts. These are, unfortunately, not listener stories. Or fortunately, I hope none of our listeners have to put up with stuff like this. Yeah. But uh, they are from the sources mentioned above. If we have any other sources, like 
some of them are from redditors and stuff i will be giving the usernames as we go so anyway my mom woke up to someone sitting on the bed with a knife in his hand at 3 a.m mom says she froze couldn't talk couldn't move completely petrified she said he was mumbling but she couldn't make out what he was saying then next door neighbor's dog barked and he just stood up and walked out she heard the back door the back sliding door open and a minute or so later the line of light shining through the curtains from the street light was blanked out she grabbed the phone and called my grandfather all she said was there was someone in the house he lived about five minutes away with her three younger teenage brothers in less than five minutes they pulled in the driveway and scattered around the house all barefoot wearing only their underwear every single door was unlocked the back door was open nobody to be seen mum was a mess there were big muddy footprints in the laundry room under the little window she left open for the cat took a few days for all the weird things this creep had done to be discovered are you ready for this yes he had shredded a black negligee that was in the laundry basket fed the cat poured her a bowl of milk poured a whiskey out of the decanter in the living room and added ice and coke to it yum now this one is really strange and i'm not sure that i quite get it somehow had injected solder into the eggs in the fridge what, uh first question um what is solder i'm not sure like it's the little metal rod for like you know little um for like welding connections like miniature like in a circuit board you would solder connections together mm. that's my only understanding of it maybe there's something else but it's, anyway so it, apparently it's a low melting alloy yeah uh that you would use to make connections with in weird circuit boards so anyway he had somehow injected solder into the eggs that were sitting on the bench nope sitting what, <laughs> <laughs> what? second question what were the eggs doing sitting on the bench yes. hardy har har <laughs> um oh my god no. you might have to edit that because my laugh was <laughs> so loud so no he had cut up some catalogs that were sitting on the bench took a photo of the stovetop and another one of me sleeping on mum's camera and left it sitting next door next to my bed that's fucking creepy tipped salt into mum's shoes and the knife was out of mum's kit mum's block in the kitchen and they never found it christ that is so fucking scary that's like all that, that weird shit that's very weird it kind of reminds me of that family in japan that got murdered where the killer was there uh drank like 12 sodas ate all the ice cream pops and like yeah. lined up everyone's licenses next to each other yeah, on the bathtub one. like that was fucking weird so like it's almost more strange that this dude didn't kill anybody but this guy takes the cake for sure with the weird egg insertions and stuff yeah and the salt in the shoes what the fuck yeah so anyway this is just a random little one in 2018 a woman returned to her home in monroe louisiana to find a stranger sitting in her bathtub and eating cheetos nice the burglar had also arranged a full plate of food on the toilet lid next to her what the fuck yep anyway the next few are from an article on thought catalog presumably just from random redditors but no authors were listed this one's called the sliding glass door and no author one of my childhood homes 
had a balcony that was attached to both my mother's bedroom and mine via big glass doors in each of our rooms. Next to the balcony are two trees, one I often used to climb up and down from the balcony. One night when my brother and mother weren't home and I was about 13, reading in bed with a very dim reading light, I heard what sounded like something moving in one of the trees outside. But this didn't worry me as possums and bats are common in our area. Now I have thin curtains on the glass doors that separated my room and the balcony and the doors faced out towards the street where the street lamp light was always visible through my curtains. Shortly after hearing the trees rustling noise, I see a shadow slowly move past the doors, at which point I immediately turn off my reading light and freeze like a deer in the headlights. The shadow was tall, so it wasn't a neighbour kid, and it wasn't my all-of-five-foot mother. The person moved slowly, creeping, as though they were trying not to be noticed. They wouldn't likely be able to see into my room, but I could see them thanks to the street lights behind them. They moved past my doors, out of sight. I sat there, unable to move or even think about what to do other than be absolutely still. That is until I heard another sound. The sound of someone trying to open a glass door, my mum's doors to the balcony. I didn't know if she had locked them or not, but I wasn't taking any chances. I moved as quickly and as silently as I could to my bedroom door and locked it. I listened for what the person was doing now. They were still jiggling the glass door handle, but it sounded like the doors weren't opening. I felt relief. This person couldn't get in, surely. All I had to do was wait for them to realise that, and then they would leave, right? Well, I heard light footsteps move back along the balcony to my set of glass doors until I saw his shadow stop directly in front of them. Again, I froze. He couldn't see me. He couldn't know I can see him. I saw a shadow of a hand reach up to my door door handle and my heart stopped. Had I actually locked those doors myself today? I was out there earlier. What if I forgot? The seconds leading up to him grabbing the handle felt like an eternity. But thankfully, when this person tried to open the door, it did not open. It was locked. I sighed such a sigh of relief, I was worried he had heard it. After this, he began pacing the length of the balcony. I didn't have a mobile. The landline was at the other end of the house, but I was scared to take my eyes off him. I was silently crying and praying he would just leave. Then I heard him stop moving. He then said, I could just break the glass, you know. Fuck that. Before I could even process this, I saw car headlights turn around the corner of my street and then stop at our property gate. My mom was home. The person on the balcony moved out of sight and I heard a loud thump as they jumped off. When my mom came inside, I was hysterical and was barely coherent in telling her what had happened. Eventually, I got the message across and she called the police. They never found or caught anybody. But a neighbour reported a truck in the street that matched the description of a truck that had been reported recently for attempted child abductions near my school a block away. Fuck that guy. Yeah. Fuck that guy. I hope someone finds him and kills him. You know, as I was reading that, I was like, why did I leave that in here? And then when I got to that part, I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I will find you. And I will kill you. (laughs) Liam Neeson shit. (laughs) This one actually got into the spookier side of things. So... It's a short one, don't worry. Worked third shift at the time. My kids told me I had started snoring. I didn't believe them and decided to record myself sleeping while they were in school. (laughs) Turned the recorder on and said, This is to see if I snore. First you could hear me breathing. Then go into a deep sleep. After a while, snoring. 
Then, clear as day, two voices talking to each other over me. I was home alone. They said, can she? I don't think she can. I had the tape for years. I always thought they were wondering if I could hear them. Pretty sure that's safe to assume. <laughs> but um, the reason why I left it in, I was like, whether it's people in the house or ghosts in the house, that's freaky as fuck. I don't know how that lady didn't fucking run away. Okay, <laughs> this is a strange one. It's titled, It Was Still Warm. Weird. Oh, you'll find out why. Oh, you know, like, some people hate it when they sit in a seat. In a warm seat, yeah, I don't like that. And it's still warm. Yeah, it's gross. I like it when it's my family. Yeah, like, if, if you're like, a- oh, I just stole the seat off my sister or whatever. Oh, lovely, cozy. Yeah. Not when you're, like, sitting on the public transport and you're like this is just some old man's fart no i don't like that i'm glad i'm glad (laughs) (laughs) um i was house sitting for my parents once while they were on a cruise no need to brag they live in a house that's really ornate inside and everything is always in its place i didn't have a car so it sucked since it was eight miles to the nearest anything It was on the third night, I went to bed like normal. I got up in the middle of the night because I heard the cat running crazy and I was going to put him in his cage so I could sleep. When I turned on the lights, I noticed something definitely out of place on the dining table that is usually clear and no one eats at. There was a McDonald's meal and cup sitting at the seat nearest me. The ice was still unmelted and the food was still warm. I got freaked out so bad I slept with the cat on the floor by a corner with the remaining remaining nights. All the doors completely bolted and locked until my parents came back. They couldn't figure out why I had made a nest until I told them. Still no idea how the McDonald's got there, but I don't go over much anymore. That's crazy. Yeah, like, just absolutely, like, what the fuck? I blame the cat. Yeah, poor cat was just, like, so excited to get his happy meal. He was, like, bolting around, like, oh, yeah, it's a Smurfs collection. That's why he was going crazy. (laughs) He's like, this motherfucker's just holding me here in the corner. He never got his nugs. Never got those fucking nugs. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder, did that guy finish that McDonald's? No. Or did he just sit there and watch it? Like, what What did he do with it? I don't know. He probably, honestly, he probably fucking left it there. Uh, I would. Yeah. I would be too scared to touch it. You wouldn't even want to throw it out? Like, I, I'd, I'd be petrified to touch it. No. This is from thump.com. This is an interesting uh, forum that I found while trying to research another topic. It is still active, but this particular thread was from uh, 2007, I think, like March 2007, and it's been pretty inactive since then. You know, thumped is just humped with a T. Thank you for that insight. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, I don't know about the whole website, but this particular thread seems to be all Irish people. Nice. Yeah, so anyway, this is from Small Brown Bear. And if you're still out there, small brown bear, 13 years on, sounds like an ad for uh, just some manly love, but (laughs) hit us up. We want to hear from you. (laughs) That's what I picture when I'm in my head, when I'm doing like the Texas desert radio DJ, like, all right, this one goes out there to small brown bear. Keep on trucking, partner. (laughs) Anyway, I've a mate from the north who used to live somewhere near Malone Road. Anyway. When she was in university, she shared a house. When they'd come in of an evening, they'd notice stuff was missing or moved to other rooms. They'd hear movement and banging in the attic at night, or feel like someone was watching them in the darkness. 
This went on quite a lot and they began, they all began to suspect and accuse each other. Some of her mates fell out with others and left the house. Anyway, one day, one of the fellas came home early from work. He opened the door to find a wild-eyed stranger in the front room. Apparently my mate and her pals lived in a terraced row of houses. The houses were over 100 years old and had no partitions in the attic. This is actually quite common for those old terraced houses. So if you're in them, because I know Dunleary's still full of them, check your fucking attic. Wait, so they're they're all stuck to each other, but there's no division in the attics? Yeah, so uh, terraced townhouses. Yeah. Yeah, and they're all separate units, but the attic is just one big attic. What Perfect for if you want to start a fire in one and just watch them all. Uh, this stranger lived a couple of doors down from them. He would climb up through this through his attic door and have the run of the entire terrace, jumping down into whoever's home, moving around their rooms, watching them as they slept. He'd been doing this for years without ever being caught. Upshot of it all was he lived with his elderly mother and suffered from some undisclosed mental illness. And I won't say what, how he finished it off. It's just rather tasteless. All right, this one I actually um, just renamed Home and Away. There's no source for this. It's from one of the uh, group articles I was reading. So Home and Away is a very popular Australian soap opera that for some reason our whole boys school anyway was only dying to get home to watch each episode of Home and Away. <laughs> it might have had something to do with all the young ones in bikinis. Mm. Might have had something to do with all the young lads that were just absolutely built like brick shit houses. But anyway, it was that's why this one spoke to me. I was like, ah, yes. Okay. This home invasion happened when I was 10 years old. I came home to my family going about their normal behavior. My dad had some friends over. They were at the kitchen table laughing and talking. It was about 7 p.m. For those in Australia, we were watching Home and Away. There you go. My dad and his friends went into my parents' room while my mother, sister, an older brother and one of dad's friends stayed in the lounge room. After a few minutes, we heard the sound of things falling over and bangs up against the wall. So we all looked up the hallway and out came my dad's friend holding a knife to his throat and demanding money. They cut our phone line and forced us onto the same lounge, onto the same couch, but keeping my dad in the same position, terrified, my sister and I cried, or my sister and I cried uncontrollably. We were told to shut up or they would hurt us. We couldn't stop and I was stabbed in my top thigh. The scar today sort of looks like an indent. My dad convinced them to all go downstairs and all we heard was fighting and the front door slammed. My dad came back upstairs with a big cut across the top of his arm saying, they're all gone. We all ran next door and rang the police. My other brother stayed in his room the entire time and didn't even know what happened because he had earphones on. What? Yeah. There you go. Home and away. That's crazy. Okay. And it looks like this one's going to be a little bit longer than we expected because well longer than i expected you knew what it was i knew what it was it. i didn't know whether to <laughs> split this in two or not because it was i found this next uh story i found personally to be quite interesting it was down as valentine's day massacre turns like, out there's been a few valentine's day massacres so i just named it oh. a valentine's day massacre okay all right i'm gonna hit you with a lot of points right now okay so, yay all right February 14th, 1977, Raccoon Lake in Park County, Indiana. Betty Jane Spencer, her son, and two of her stepsons are chilling in their, th- in their trailer. Mrs. Spencer's husband had just left for work 
and all of a sudden the lights go out. Three gang members burst through the door, shining flashlights on Betty Spencer and the three boys, and ordered them to lie on the floor and not look around. Another man walks in who seems to be the leader, and a moment later they heard a car pull up outside. Another of Betty Spencer's sons, I'm not actually sure if this was one of her stepsons or her actual son because she had one son and three stepsons. Anyway, he came in at just the most awful time. So he was promptly ordered to join the others on the floor. One of the killers stole between 30 and $40. I heard both. Either way, a really small amount of money. While the other located the family rifle and bent the barrel in the toilet. Then the leader walked behind each of the teenage boys who were on the trailer floor, tapped each one on the foot and asked how old they were. Gregory Brooks, 22, was Mrs. Spencer's son, and stepsons Raymond Spencer, 17, Reeve Spencer, 16, and Ralph Spencer, 14. They turned off the flashlights and shot all four boys and Mrs. Spencer in the back and left in one of the family cars. Mrs. Spencer was not dead, however. One of the blasts had moved her wig, so they thought they had shot her, and they actually thought that they had literally shot her scalp off. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how intelligent these men were. So anyway, uh, they thought they had shot her in the head when in fact they had actually only grazed her shoulder. Now that graze still left over 80 shotgun pellets in her mm. in the top of her arm and shoulder until the day she died. Fuck. Bearing in mind, this is 1977, so uh, she lived quite a long life after this. She lay there in the dark until they, she knew they were gone. And then this is a quote, and it's actually really horrible. But I had to leave it in just for the the gravity of the situation I looked around at the boys and I said is anybody alive and nobody answered and I realised it was the blood rushing from our boys Spencer said it sounded like a waterfall and that quotes from the USA Today article that's awful yeah oh like it it was fucking horrific so anyway Miss Spencer managed to get her shit together and run to a neighbour and get him to call the police so the name of this gang leader I, quote unquote gang it was a bunch of fucking like rednecks by the sounds of it a gang of rednecks yeah but it was, <laughs> <laughs> like not uh, not some organized fucking crime uh, gang you know I what see. I mean it was okay. just a bunch of hooligans okay Roger K- Clay Drollinger did not think I was going to have to say Drollinger over and over again so we're actually just going to call him Roger because it's a lot easier on the tongue. He was known to have said that he wanted to become as infamous as John Dillinger. Roger's father had his lawyer find two private detectives to follow him around before any of this even started, just to keep an eye on him. Right? Because he was in so much trouble. Like, All the stupid time. things, like here and there. But the father was noted to be quite a wealthy man. I don't know anything else about him, just the fact that the family had enough money to like throw at this lawyer. So he was like typical rich kid, like got in trouble, dad paid the bail, he got back out, he got in trouble. and Privilege, got it. Yeah, exactly. Um, he had so many pre- previous offences that his lawyer's friends would joke that he would have a job for life handling all of his cases. Roger and his gang had previously thrown a cement block out of a car at a passing motorcyclist. They had hidden in bushes along country roads and jumped out in front of cars brandishing shotguns to stop and rob them and roger had once pointed a, f- a loaded 44 magnum up to a friend's head 
and threatened to blow his brains out if he didn't follow orders. And I actually only found this article because I was reading like a Let's Not Meet style Close Encounters thing from another kid who grew up in the same area as him. He was like a small time drug dealer as well and just constantly bullying and harassing the local kids. So he just sounds like a fucking arsehole, to be honest. Two weeks before the killings, Roger and the three other gang members, David Smith, who was only 17, Michael Wright, 21, and Daniel Stonebreaker, 20, had cut themselves and made a blood oath. Each of them promised to kill someone, just to know how it felt to kill someone. And if one of them did not, the other gang members would kill him. So that's the kind of people we're dealing with. And just a little side note, Michael Wright actually went and rented an Opal Cadet for the occasion. If there anybody else, because I'm like, I love hearing car names getting dropped. I'm like, oh, what did that look like? Looked like a piece of shit. But they rented a car specifically for this occasion. And anyway, on the 14th, they actually met. They all had a meeting with uh, Rollinger's lawyer, Niall Stanton, because to discuss the case, the details of an ongoing drug trial. So literally this kid was due in court the next morning. Had met with his lawyer in a motel with all of his friends to get their story straight. And then they went out hunting, as they put it. Now I got all this information. Niall Stanton is actually the, um, I guess, publisher of OccasionalJustice.com. And it's basically just his memoirs. Very interesting. But uh, I will say that the the website is kind of only half finished. I think he's putting it all together to get like a book published or something. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it, it is like really interesting. So that's how we have so many details on this. They parked a rental car down down the road and crept up to the trailer. So they like were scouting these like country roads for ages, saw the trailer and was like, oh, that one looks like nice and secluded. I think maybe they knew the family somewhat because... As I said, they parked down the road and then crept back up to the trailer. But they also waited for Keith Spencer, the father, to leave and go f- go to work. When he did leave, that's when Drollinger, again, being the leader and being a little bitch, he was like, I'll cut the cables, the electrical and phone cables. You three go in and deal with the children. Uh, so that's why the three gang members burst in and Drollinger entered later when the coast was clear. Literally, he was like, you go in there, make sure it's safe, then I'll come in. Then they did what they did. They stole one of the family's cars and drove around for a while until they abandoned it with the keys and the ignition in the hopes that someone else would steal it and get charged with the murders. That's about the most intelligence they'll ever show. And so that explains why they stole the family car. That's kind of like how uh, the guy, the monster from the outsider thought. Yeah, 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 actually. Mm -hmm. Subtle, uh... Stephen King reference there. Not so subtle because I said the name of the book. Yeah, Stephen King <laughs> reference there. <laughs> um, anyway, Feptem- Feptem- September. <laughs> the month of fapping. <laughs> the like fapping. Right before, no, not November. <laughs> Fucking hell. September. <laughs> February 15th. <laughs> the day after Valentine's Day. Fuck me. Roger appeared in court in Crawfordsville to testify in his drug trial, acting as though nothing at all had happened the night before. He never showed up for sentencing. We don't hear from him for about a month. 
And then, a little over a month later, Drollinger calls his lawyer. It was a Friday evening. He was on the lam, but was thinking about turning himself in. The lawyer, again, uh, Niall Stanton, encouraged him to do it and was told that he'd call back later that evening. So, Stanton and his assistant stay in the office. This is the, the little bit I told you. They literally just... Because, again, this is the 70s. I can't get this into my head. People used to just sit and wait for the phone to ring. Like, literally, this was his whole evening. It's like, oh, well, Roger said he's going to call back. Okay. I should wait because he's on the lam. <laughs> anyway, he did call back. I can't remember. I think it said like around 7 o'clock or something. He said he would turn himself in on Monday, but only if the lawyer came on his own to pick him up and also arranged for him to spend the weekend with his wife. What? Yeah. So he said he gave very clear instructions. They weren't clear. Repeat them. No, no, no. I'm about to tell you the instructions. (laughs) So he said, basically, this was Friday evening. He was like, listen, Mr. Stanton or Mm -hmm. Niall. I don't know how. I'm guessing they were pretty closely acquainted. Listen, Niall. I'm going to turn myself in on Monday. Uh And it's Friday now. I want to spend Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night with my wife and kid. Oh, with his wife and kid. Yeah, I'm like, why do you want? Like, why does he want to spend time with him and listen, his, Niall, his wife? I just want to say, Pegasus been looking real nice. No, it's like um, I thought, like, oh, is this guy lonely or something? Because he's like, hey, let's hang out. I oh, don't like have friends. The lawyer was gonna be there, like. Yeah, no, like I thought Dale Dale was gonna be like, hey, dude, like I don't have any friends. Can you like come spend the weekend with me <laughs> and bring your wife too? That's what I thought. Okay. Okay. So he had a wife and kids. He had a wife and one kid. Oh, I didn't know uh, that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. No, he didn't want to just spend a nice romantic weekend with the lawyer yeah. and the lawyer's wife. Okay. So anyway, you get very clear instructions. Stanton was to park outside a church just off I-65 near Jeffersonville and go into the church but leave the passenger door unlocked. If there was anyone in the church, he was told to approach them and say he was looking for Bobby. That was just, that was the instructions. So anyway, the lawyer goes into the church and there's nobody there at all. So he kind of like fumbles around like for a minute, goes back outside, nobody there, goes back into the church and the minister is there. So he walks up to the minister and he's like, or the minister asks, uh, can I help you? He says, uh, oh, I'm just looking for uh, Bobby. He said he was going to be here. Minister doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. Stanton walks back outside. Drollinger is sitting in his car. I thought this kind of got like spooky for a minute. I'm like, there's a lot of trust going into this fucking yeah. murderer. Like, He's a fucking murderer. Yeah. Like a self-confessed murderer. But anyway, this being the 70s, this dude didn't have a phone or anything. You know what I mean? So to call and be like, it's a trap. So he had arranged with his assistant. He's like, look, I'm driving out here to pick up this guy. You go sit with his wife and I'll call the house. If I don't call between nine o'clock and nine ten, call the police, call the feds and tell them exactly where I met him. Very 1970s move yeah, because yeah. like there's a 10 minute window. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? And because also the lawyer's going to get in a lot of trouble for this. Mm. You know what I mean? So anyway, he returns to the car. Drollinger is there sitting in the passenger seat. Quote, the first thing I noticed was he needed a shave and stunk like a family of sick rats. As they drove north to Indianapolis, 
Stanton told Drollinger, or Drollinger, 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 as they drove north to Indianapolis, Stanton told Roger which hotels had rooms available at various points on the outskirts of the city, and there was one in the centre that he could choose to stay in. He left the choice in the, the killer's hands because he was trying to, you know, I don't know, you've got complete control. But he said he dropped some like really heavy hints that if he stayed in the city centre, it'd be best because it'd be like hiding in plain sight. Roger selected that hotel, you know, purely of his own accord. And uh, Stanton said, what I had not told him was that I knew this particular hotel quite well and was aware that both exits could be clearly observed from one strategic location. The assistant was told to take Roger's wife, Kathy, to the downtown hotel. When he called the assistant, the, the whole plan, again, this was like, you know, at the 10 minute window, he was like, I'll stop at this gas station and use their payphone. And he then went on to say, like, what if the gas station was closed? What if the payphones weren't working? I would have been driving and the feds would have, like, stopped him. Like, Well, I mean, if he, <coughs> I feel like he covered all his bases because he manipulated him to select a hotel that he just happens to know like i can't even i don't i can't say i know a hotel like what like i know yeah, where to we're stand not, we're not lawyerly types in the 70s you know what i mean that's, that's probably where he did all his business and smoked cigars with he seems like a smart dude i'm pretty sure it was like you know what this gas station 24 7 yeah, yeah open yeah. all this the time like, look best payphones yeah. you'll ever see i know josh <laughs> i'd fucking eat my dinner off those toilets those payphones work yeah um anyway so this was easter weekend and the lawyer and his assistant met with roger several times at the hotel on north meridian street northwest of west of white river just in case anyone was wondering shout out to uh white river that one person that might listen to us one day because no one's wondering yeah nobody's wondering <laughs> so i'm assuming that they, they were actually bringing his meals there they didn't want any public obviously seeing him like he was on he wasn't on the top 10 but he was like on the fbi's most wanted list anyway oh, okay and he also had two private detectives at all times now again this dude is being paid by drollinger's dad mm -hmm. for this whole time so that again just goes to show how fucking how much money this dude had and he was told or drollinger was told if he set foot outside the hotel every local state and federal law enforcement agency around would have been notified immediately. So at this point, he already does he already know that he killed that family, or that he shot oh, that yeah. family? Oh yeah, like the the evidence was like was okay. stacked against them. Okay. Since Roger had been getting tons of terrible publicity over the previous se several weeks, he told his lawyer that he wanted to have a press conference before being taken into custody. He wanted to proclaim his innocence to the public on live TV. What a piece of shit. This dude is the biggest piece of shit. Uh, this is a quote from uh, Stanton again. Drollinger sat at my desk, his wife beside him holding their baby, with me standing to the side. It was quite a scoop for the station, a live interview with one of the most wanted men in America. Tears in his eyes, Roger Drollinger talked about his wife and baby and professed his innocence. Then, with the TV camera and journalist still present, Drollinger called the FBI himself and said he wanted to surrender. Stanton actually got in trouble for this later, being accused of staging this whole thing as his lawyer. But like this dude didn't, he was just like letting this all play out in front of him. Made for this pretty decent story. So anyway, the FBI showed up, and uh, 
escorted him peacefully. They allowed Stanton to accompany him as far as they could go, even though they didn't have to. And he was taken to Crawfordsville, Indiana, to be sentenced in the drug case that he was originally on bail for, or like skip bail for, at the time when the Raccoon Lake slayings took place. They took him to a courthouse, I think in Crawfordsville, and the crowd was so sickened by him, and they were like, he's not going to get a fair trial, even though nobody thought he deserved it. They actually had to move him to a different one. So at the new courthouse, the courthouse had been roped off to keep this crowd at bay. And as Drollinger went up the courthouse steps, people chanted, kill him, kill him. Jail is too good for him. He was subsequently tried before a jury in Hartford City, Indiana, convicted and sentenced to four consecutive life terms in prison, as the death penalty wasn't available in Indiana. Quote from the lawyer, uh, quote from Stanton, I am absolutely opposed to the death penalty. However, I must admit that I agree with what Judge Bruce Bade said when he sentenced Drollinger. If anyone ever deserved the death penalty, Roger K. Drollinger did. And fun fact, they actually have his original FBI wanted poster on eBay currently for $300. Mm, yeah. yeah. Who gives a shit? I mean, he's kind of a nobody. Interesting enough story. Uh, Drollinger was found dead in his cell at the Wabash Wabash Valley Correctional Facility on January 29th, 2014. That's, that's only six years ago. Yeah. The other three, Michael Wright. Wait, so he was found dead because he was murdered or because natural causes? Uh, I'm pretty sure it was natural causes. Yeah. No, he lived like a decent life. You know what I mean? He didn't deserve it. No. I don't give a fuck. I get to I'll judge his fuck. ass as much as I want because he's a piece of shit. You don't see me out here killing anybody? Yeah. I didn't kill nobody. <laughs> um, I want that snippet cut. I didn't kill nobody. Just in case <laughs> we need that in the future. <laughs> anyway, so Michael Wright is now 65. David Smith is 60. And Daniel R. Stonebreaker is 64. And they're all housed at Pendleton Correctional Facility serving life sentences. David, I actually do feel bad for this guy. Like, obviously, he killed people, you know, like that. that's terrible. He was a 17-year-old kid. He was denied parole in 2016 and is eligible for parole again in August 2021. Again, he's 60 now. His, his life is over in terms of, like, he's been in that prison for, what, 43 years? On a positive note, Betty Jane Spencer went on to become a victim's rights activist and eventually was honoured at a special White House ceremony by President Ronald Reagan. She died in October 2004. Damn. So yeah, that story kind of spiralled a little bit because I was just looking to, you know, get a few small ones. But um, yeah, there you go. Roger Clay Drollinger. What a piece of shit. Yep. And now Dulce is going to read just a short one of our listener stories. I'm going to flex my my radio voice. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm going to see if I got one. Go for it. I've got multiple. They're all terrible. My best friend's mother, growing up, told me a story that I have never been able to forget. They have a good amount of mental illness in their family. And when she was a little girl, she had to go visit her grandmother at the asylum pretty often. On one of these visits, 
while walking down the hall to her grandmother's room, she heard a strange noise come out from one of the rooms. When she turned to look, she saw a woman sitting on her bed. The woman had pulled her eyes out of their sockets, and they were just hanging there. My friend's mom screamed and was rushed away and never went back. Flat out refused, said she had nightmares for years. Me too, Tammy. Me too. Wow. I got chills listening to that. Um, so whoever that's from, we didn't get... Uh, it was just sent in as anonymous. So if that is your story, hit us up. Let us know and we'll... We'll give you credit. It. Yeah, because... Fuck that. That's insane. Um, and yeah, so I guess that's it. This has been week four. A whole month. <laughs> a whole month. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed listening to us as much as we enjoy listening to us. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Oh, wait, hold on. Don't forget to send us all your spooky shit. Oh, yeah. To... um instagram at weekly creep twitter at weekly creep gmail at weekly creep at gmail.com just search weekly creep hopefully by now we've become a little bit more popular that it's the first thing to jump up or manifesting and yeah send us all stories little or long we want to hear them spooky true crime related aliens bigfoot anything at all size doesn't matter that's how I got her. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye.